If you will, please remain standing for the reading of our passage this morning. John 8. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would help us to set aside all distractions so that we may focus on your word and on the Spirit working in us, changing us, and applying um, these words to our heart and to our life. So we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, preaching can kind of be therapeutic. Because a lot of times, whenever you preach, you get to use a lot of your personal stories. And so this is a very telling, um, (laughs) this example is a very opening experience for me. So I get to share with you some of my heart. So that's good, right? But uh, growing up, I had this, um, this intense fear of the dark. Um, And it's funny because I see that today in my kids. My family lived out in the country. It was 20 minutes from the nearest town. My next-door neighbors were my grandparents. And the only light we had at night was this light that was kind of coming from outside the power pole. It was this orange-yellowish light that we would see um, at nighttime. And it was terrifying at nighttime, whenever the power would go out and the light was not there, I was a terrified kid. And I remember one time I was laying in my bed, and I don't know if I was watching a movie before I went to bed or what, but I was laying in my bed and it just happened to, the light just happened to show up on my wall, this orange light. And All my life, I've had this picture on my wall of this clown that my aunt, a long time ago, she's an artist, and so she drew the picture, and so my mom just thought it would be great to hang the the clown picture on my wall. And I remember I was laying in my bed, and everything just seemed to go well that night. The light pitched dark outside, but this light just happened to shine directly on this picture of this clown. So let's, let's add all this up together, okay? So I'm, I'm living in the country, 20 miles from the nearest town. My grandparents live next door to me. It's pitch dark, and this light is shining on the picture of this clown. I was terrified. I was terrified, and so I went to the wall, and I took down the picture, put it under my bed, and I I think I fell asleep maybe about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. The next morning I woke up, my mom came into my room, and she noticed that the picture was gone, and then I would have to put the picture back. but, But I had this intense fear of the darkness. I was terrified. I was terrified when the clown... And this idea of darkness and the light just went together, it, it, it just it bothered me. 
And it's interesting because in the daylight, the, the picture of the cloud was, it, it was always there, and it never bothered me. But it was only at night. At night, whenever the, 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 the way the light would come into the room and the way the darkness kind of set the, its eerie mood and the way the picture kind of hit the, the light, hit the picture, it, the fear kind of was provoked in me. There's an interesting tension between the light and the darkness and how it would feel. And it's interesting because this tension, this battle, is kind of what we see here, not only in ourselves, but in this passage that we're looking at this morning. Because when Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, there, there's this idea that there is a sense of darkness that exists before the light can be seen. There's darkness that's ruling over the minds and the hearts of humanity. So when Jesus says that the light of the world has come down, what he's saying is that the light of the world, has, the light has come into the world, has condescended, has come down into the darkness to dispel it, to, to, to reject it, to, to rid the world of it, and to ultimately to destroy it. And in John 8, we see that when the light comes in, it, it doesn't come in not by force. This is not a military power that's coming in and wiping out the darkness. But instead, when the light comes in, the light comes in with a sense of mercy and compassion. And we see that whenever this, the, the light and compassion kind of comes up against the religious leaders the Pharisees, in this passage. It throws them off their high horse. And it caused confusion among the people. So this morning, we're going to camp out on this verse, verse 12. And in this verse 12, we have three main points. One, that Jesus is the light of the world. Two, that Jesus dispels the darkness, he rejects the darkness, gets rid of the darkness, and finally we see that the promises that come out of living in the light, living in Jesus. So those are our three points. So let's, uh, let's start off with verse 12, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And as you've gathered, this is the second of Jesus' I am statements. A few months ago, we kind of looked back at Jesus' first I am statement where he referred to himself as the bread of life. And one of the key points that we made about Jesus was that when he used the term ego a me, which is I am, he's referring back to, um, to the passage in Exodus where the Lord reveals himself to Moses, where Moses asked, you know, Lord, who do, I'm going to go and I'm going to bring your people out of Egypt. But what do I tell? Who sends me? Who, what is your name? And the Lord responds, I am that I am. The ego of me. So when Jesus is saying that I am the light of the world, as he was saying, I am the bread of life, he's identifying himself in relation to the Father. He's saying, I am one with the Father. He's affirming that all the qualities and the attributes that the Father possesses are his as well. We've kind of talked about that in the last, in January. But it's good to be reminded of that this morning. So if Jesus is the light of the world, as we see in this passage, so is the Father, because they're one. For we see the Father has revealed himself as light all throughout the Old Testament. 
of Exodus 13, the passage that Bob read to us this morning. Verse 24 says this, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them night, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of, of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. Psalm 36, verse 9, at the top of your, your, um, your worship bulletin this morning, says this, when the psalmist writes, For with you is the fountain of life, and your light do we see light. And then finally, one of my favorite passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 60, verse 19. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor by, for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. I love how one commentator put it when he was referring to this passage, and he ties it all together. As he says this, he says, Light is Yahweh in action. So what we see when we look at this passage, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying that I am coming to act. To do what I'm supposed to do and bringing about salvation for my people. And causing them to understand. Ultimately, he is saying that he is the one and only hope for the nations. Just as God was the pillar of fire that protected and provided for his people as they passed into the promised land, Christ has come to do that for us. Just as the church believed and anticipated the day that God would act to bring about salvation, Christ has come to make it happen. If light is Yahweh in action, then Christ proclaiming to be the light of the world is Jesus' way of saying salvation is here and it is now. But we can't jump into that yet. Because we have to deal with with the darkness. Before we can understand the light, we have to understand the darkness. And so that leads us to our next point, that Jesus dispels the darkness. Have you ever thought about what, why the darkness kind of terrifies people? Is it the unknown is the instinct is it an instinct that we're born with? I mean, my kids come in. I mean, there's a sound outside their window. They're terrified. Last week, when the thunderstorms came through with the lightning and the thunder, there's three, four days there where the kids were in our bed because they were terrified of the sound along with the thunder. Is it because? That most of the evil things that are done in the world are done in darkness. Most robberies occur at night. Most murders occur at night. In 2015, a group of Chinese scientists gathered together and did a test to explain why humans are terrified of darkness. After many different scenarios were added to the experiment, the conclusion was that humans, us, we're scared of the dark because of a biological makeup. For our ancestors, night was a dangerous time for them. So they had to be diligent. They had to be aware. 
most of the big animals, they hunted at night. So our ancestors had to be aware of what was creeping out there in the bush or in the trees or in the woods. Another article stated this way. It said, humans were taught to stay awake from the dark because that's where the danger is. Keep that in mind, okay? We had to stay awake from the dark because that's where the danger is. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world and I'm coming into the darkness, what is he saying here? What is this darkness that he's referring to? What's the danger that's involved there? Is is he talking about the darkness? Is is it opposed to him? Because darkness and light, they are opposed to each other. Is the darkness opposed to his ministry? Is his darkness at war with Jesus? And I would say yes, yes, and yes. Because the Greek term in this passage points to this idea that darkness is is everything or anything that is at enmity with God. Darkness is what's opposing God. It's earthly, it's demonic, but it's not only just that. We we can group sin into there as well, but it's also ignorant of divine things. It's our lack of understanding is considered darkness. We see this in, in the New Testament. So when John mentions darkness here in this passage, as well throughout all of his writings, because he does a lot of, he talks a lot about darkness in 1 John, is that what he's saying is that, that he's stressing that there's unbelief, there's spiritual blindness, everything contrary to God, who is the light, is considered in the darkness, or considered part of the darkness that we're living in. Let me give you two examples in Scripture. Look at verses 1 through 11 of John 8. We didn't read this passage, but I think it's important for us to touch on it. You have this scenario where the Pharisees, they they bring this adulterous woman to Jesus to test him, to see it again, to test him, right? What's the darkness in this situation? Well, the darkness in this situation, well, obviously we could point out that she's an adulterer, right? That lifestyle is contrary to God. But what is also darkest in this passage is the way that the Pharisees go about testing Jesus, right? They have hardened their hearts to her. They're they're willing to stone her. They're not willing to show mercy and compassion to her, contrary to God, contrary to what Christ said is teaching. So we see that there's two good examples of darkness here in this passage. Let's look again at verses 13 and 20, when the Pharisees, after Jesus, just got through explaining that he is the light of the world. Then they come up and they're like, well, you know, we need you to explain, you know, your testimony. You got to defend your testimony to us, Jesus. You got to tell us who you really are. Is there darkness in that passage as well? Yes. Because the Pharisees are ignorant. They're lacking the spiritual knowledge. They're not aware of who Jesus is. So what then does Jesus do? 
how then does Jesus, as the light of the world, come into the world, come into this dark world, and do away with the darkness? Well, I think that he does it two ways in this passage. There's two I want to focus on this morning. One, he does it by enlightening those who are in the darkness to see him and to taste him and to see that he is good. He enlightens them. He frees them from their lack of knowledge, from their lack of understanding, and he gives them the ability to, 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 to believe, to believe who he is. John 1, 9, the true light which enlightens everyone, has come into the world. And that true light is Jesus. He's enlightening them. He's, he's illuminating them and giving them the ability to believe in who he says he is and what he has come to do for them. And second, he dispels the darkness by bringing about salvation for his people. Look at what he says to the woman caught in adultery after her accusers went away. Jesus stooped down and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And her response was, No, Lord. And Jesus says, said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He has forgiven her, showed mercy to her, showed compassion to her. That's what the light of the world has come to do. That's what the Pharisees are failing to understand because they have not been enlightened. They have not been changed. They have not been given a new heart. And then finally, the third one, which I forgot I added a third one, is that Jesus spells the darkness by reminding us of the hope that we have in him. You see, the tension between light and darkness will always be there. But what keeps us going is knowing that Christ has overcome the darkness for us. The darkness has been dealt with our own lives on the cross. And we can rest in being in union with him, knowing that the darkness has been dealt with. So Jesus comes in as light of the world and he, he deals with the darkness by enlightening us, by changing our hearts, by giving us the ability to believe, to profess faith. He deals with the darkness by bringing salvation to us, by making it, by applying it to us. He deals with that darkness. He deals with our sin. He deals with a lack of understanding by enlightening us. He deals with our sin by nailing it to the cross, taking it to the cross. But he continues to deal with our darkness on an everyday basis and our lack of faith, our lack of of holding tight and firm to him on an everyday basis. But John doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 12 and he points out the promises that go for those who have been enlightened and to those who walk in the light. Look at what he says in verse, at the end of verse 12. He says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So what are the two promises that he states here? They will never walk in darkness, 
because they have, but they have the light of life. So what does he mean here in this passage? Never walk in darkness. Is he saying that we will never struggle with dark things, never struggle with sin or doubt or fear? Is that what he's saying? No. What he's saying here in this passage is that if we follow after Jesus and we obey his word, because that's what a follower of Jesus does, he obeys his word, and rest in being in union with Christ, then we have the promise that we will never walk in darkness. That's the promise. To follow after Jesus is to trust him and to obey him. To obey Jesus, to where he leads us by his word, he leads us by the spirit, he guides us. First John 2, 9-11 says it like this. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause of stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we have the promise here that we will not walk in darkness if we obey and trust in Christ. We obey his word, follow his word, let his word guide us and lead us to let the Spirit change our hearts on an everyday basis, to cause us to love him more, to love others more. If we hate our brother, then we walk in darkness. But if we love our brother, then we walk in the light. Why? Because in loving our brother, we are obeying what God has commanded us to do. And while Jesus has promised us that if we follow after him in obedience, that we will never walk in darkness, he closes out verse 12 and says this. The second second promise is that Christ will forever dwell within us. That's a beautiful promise. Our obedience and rejection of the darkness is not based on a quality or an attribute that we have. Instead, we obey and walk in light because God has, Christ has drawn us to believe in him and he dwells within us and he gives us the power to obey and to walk, and to serve, and to love. He lives in us. John Murray states the best when he writes this, all working out of our salvation on our part is the effect of God's working in us. Not the willing to the exclusion of doing and not the doing to the exclusion of the willing, but both the willing and the doing. And this working of God is directed to the end of enabling us to will and to do that which is pleasing to him. So the promises that we have, if we obey, we will not walk in darkness. And what empowers us to, to obey what empowers us to walk, what empowers us to lead, is Christ dwelling in us. The promise that he will dwell in us. That's beautiful timing there with lights going out, right? 
That was part of my illustrations. Thank you. <laughs> so how do we, what, what does all this mean for us? Even though we live our lives in the light of Christ, we're still called to be aware of the darkness. It continues to exist in the world. Be aware of it. Know it's there. When Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, he, he calls us in the sense that we are to shine for the world, to, to share the gospel with the world. We should desire other people to want to live in the light that we live in. So be aware of the darkness so that you can preach the light into the darkness. So that they can enjoy and rest in the promises that we rest in. The second, as brothers and sisters, let's not lose sight or get distracted with the demands of this dark world. Because sometimes when we lose sight and we get entangled in the demands of this world, we begin to lose interest in obeying God. We begin to lose interest in walking in the light. We begin to lose interest in the things that are pleasing to God. Instead of seeing the Christian life as a life of great blessing and great joy, we begin to see that the Christian life is like you, you clock in and you clock out. I've done my work today. I'm clocking out. Wake up the next day. I'll clock in for a few hours. Be the Christian. Maybe half of the day and then clock out. And I'll just go back and enjoy the world. The rest. The, the hours I have less left remaining in the day. Or we want to treat the Christian life like a buffet-style kind of life. Let me just take this and this and this of the Christian life, but reject that. Mm, obeying, I don't want that today. Resting in Jesus, I will take that today. But instead, the Christian life, a life lived in the light, is obeying today Resting in Jesus today. Trusting in Jesus today. Even though I sin, I'm going to still trust in Jesus today. That is, the, that is a life lived in the light. Remember those moments when you want to run to that. The darkness is creative. The darkness can manipulate so enticing. It can draw us in so easy. But my prayer for you today, my prayer for myself as well is this, that we would continue trusting and believing in Christ and what he has done for us. And that we would continue resting the thought that he is in us and he's empowering us more and more and more to die to ourselves and to obey and to follow him. We obey, we follow him, we deny ourselves, we're living the light. Let us pray.
Father, it's so easy for us to look at the world and to be aware of the darkness. Sometimes we can shun the world and shun the darkness, and in a sense, we reject the very command that you called us to go and do, and that is to be a light into the darkness. Forgive us for those moments, Father. Forgive us also, Lord, for those moments in our life when we feel like we approach the Christian life as a buffet where we take we take in what we want and disregard what we don't like or <clears throat> what we disagree with. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us also when we look at the Christian life and we think it's a, a moment we can clock in and clock out. We've done our task for the day. Father, help us to see that that is not what it means to live in the light. Remind us, Father, that you dwell within us and that you are making us more and more like your son each day. For praise in Christ's name. Amen.